0: The following is a presentation of
1: the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.
0: We got used to what we like in our homes and we made... We, like, had to carve out cozy spaces. And, like, I think it gave a lot of people the opportunity to reflect on whether or not doing something was worth it. Like, is going to the show worth it? Is hanging out after the show worth it? Would I rather just be home with my roommates or my cat or my dog or my husband or my kids? Like, or should I hang out at this bar and hope that something happens for my comedy career? Like, that's exhausting.
1: This is episode 235 of Reconcile the Isle. What on earth is going on? Rocket Man. Casualty of climate change. Ecosystems are collapsing.
0: Eight accusers. Several allegations.
1: Thousands of cases. Charlottesville.
0: Horrific shooting. Deadly school shooting.
1: The third deadly mass shooting in a week. Category four. California wildfires.
0: Government shutdown. I've never seen this country divided like this. The worst
1: pandemic. Healthcare system collapsing. This is astounding to me. Reconcile the Isle. Welcome to Reconcile the Isle on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. On this show, my characters and I are figuring out how we can have meaningful dialogue about difficult topics. My name is Lauren LaGiudice. This season, we're interviewing media creators, Today, my co-host is Queens Marie, and we'll be talking to Emily Walsh about going to and surviving Catholic school, comedy in the aftertimes, including festivals and The Hang, her podcast Alone at Lunch. Then my character, Queens Marie, asks about a nun makeover. So before we get to our interview, here's a little bit about Emily. Emily, as you, you'll hear on the podcast, I know her from the comedy scene in New York. I first met her. Well, I, I kind of was admiring her from afar. I seen her in open mics and stuff. And She was always just like put together and it was such a breath of fresh air amongst all of the dysfunction and negativity around us. Um, and if you ever want to know more about that, just ask any female comedian and they'll tell you about the suffering at open mic rooms. So she's super cool. She's from, she's from Boston. She paints scenery for a living for film and television. And she has some really great credits in comedy. She was on Kevin Hart's Lyft Comics on Peacock. She also headlined Stand Up New York and sold that out. She got first place at the Comedy Mob Festival. She's been all over the place. She's done a lot of fun stuff. And you're going to really like to talk about her because she is smart and she is real. And we love that here on Reconcile the Aisle. So let's go to an interview with Emily Walsh. All right. Well, thank you, Emily, for joining us on Reconcile the Isle. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Cool. So I remember you, a lot of open mics at the Grizzly Pair. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. Back in the day. And I always admire you from afar because I was like, she has her shit together like these people around me don't. <laughs>
0: oh, well, that's nice. I definitely now know the mics you're talking about. But yeah, I started comedy as an adult. And I think that has like changed my perspective on the whole thing because I didn't start till I was 30. So like when I... I came in, I had a job and a 401k and like knew how to be a person. And I think that that like helped in certain ways as far as like looking like I had my shit together, I guess.
1: Yeah. Also, it just seemed like someone who was really smart and, you know, it was not just fucking around. Like a lot of people just, you wonder sometimes you're like, are you here because you can't afford a therapist or maybe you're unemployed, and have nothing else to do, or are you here to do your thing? Do
0: your thing. Yeah. I mean, with comedy, I feel like there's so many people when they start out that they're just like all about that grind and it, all they want to do is, is say that they're out there. So to them, the value is doing three open mics a night, even if you don't have something to say, but I, you know, because I started where I was and because I had a different career at the time, I was like, I might make it to three open mics this week. I want to use them to like use, you know, get something out of it. And so I tried to like come in with like written jokes, which is definitely not what everybody's doing.
1: Right. Because you wonder sometimes you're saying like, I used to go to way too many open mics. And then I realized like, I'm not, I'm burning myself out and getting bad habits. Yeah, for sure. And it's not, I'm actually getting worse when I'm coming here. Rethink the strategy.
0: Yeah, I think the burnout and the exhaustion can really hurt you in a way that I don't think people really factor in.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Because I think it is more of a marathon than a
0: sprint. Yeah, yeah, it's not, nothing's gonna, like unless you're one of the small amount of chosen few, like it's not gonna happen overnight. So you need to like stay alive and like occasionally eat a vegetable and get some sleep and like have some other life experiences and not just go to- Yeah, like have- Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: have a friend that's not a comedian. Exactly,
0: exactly. Get some perspective. (laughs) on the world and what you're doing totally so backtracking you went to catholic school i did i went to uh (laughs) infant jesus elementary
1: yeah you didn't go to
0: high school or catholic school no i went to catholic elementary and then junior high and then i moved so i missed the like quintessential stereotypical part of it when people are like you know i went to like a all-girls Catholic school or whatever. I didn't do the high school part, but I got the solid foundation in praying 10 times a day kind of thing.
1: And you went to to all-girls school? No, no.
0: It was everybody, but it was like my elementary school was a 20-person class and almost every year it was 10 boys and 10 girls. Like occasionally there was like an extra. I don't know if that was intentional or if that was just the way that my class was, but it was a really, really, really tiny group of people.
1: That's why. Well, I went to Catholic school as well so I can commiserate. Yeah. um, And Queen. What was yours called? Did it have a crazy name? It was St. Helens Roman Catholic Church. Okay.
0: Because, like, I live near some—I live in Queens— and there's a couple, there's like most precious
1: blood and like yep. there's a couple really metal names for Catholic schools. Yeah, I know that one. I know that one. Where in Queens are you? Uh, in Astoria. Okay, in Astoria. Yeah, this was in, it's Southeast Queens. Gotcha, By the gotcha. Airport. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, and it was one of the most corrupt places. It's a very corrupt church because it's like, you know, they put an, an, a Verizon antenna on the roof um, just to make some extra cash. Oh, wow. To sell that four, yeah. for or 5G. Yeah. Wow. Do you feel like, because I feel like there's so many Catholic comedians or people who went through Catholic school become comedians. Do you think it has anything to do with Catholic school or is it like a false conclusion? I
0: think it's probably one of those things that if we made a, a big like list or a word bubble or something, it would come up pretty often. I think that there's a certain amount of like showmanship in like Catholicism that, you know, like I was an altar server and I remember like, thinking in my head, like, okay, we're getting ready for the show. We're putting on our outfit. We're going to, you know, try to do it. And like, if you grew up with like a charismatic priest, like we had a very, like, I'm not Catholic anymore. I wouldn't consider myself. I don't practice. I don't go, but You know, we had a very charismatic priest that was kind of definitely like a performer in a sense. You could tell that part of the reason he got into it was to, like, do the homily on Sundays and stuff. But um, So
1: many of those. So many of
0: those. Yeah. And I also think Catholic school is, like, strict enough that it breeds, like, class clowns in a big way. Because you're just like, I have to fight back against some of this. Like, this is so ridiculous and I need a little bit of attention in some other way, I guess. I'm not really sure.
1: Well, it's so clear what the rules are, and it's so clear what the power is. So then it makes it easy to, like, fight back.
0: Yeah, it's a very easy scenario to, like, piss somebody off or to, like, become, you know... I feel like even when I was really little, I'd get notes home. But just for, like, talking, nothing... I was never a bad kid. I was never, like... I wouldn't even say class clown after elementary school, but I... I wanted attention enough that that was like being bad in Catholic school Uh, as a kid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those smallest things. I remember I brought in Beavis and Butthead cards, and that was like a huge scandal just to have them oh yeah I can't imagine I don't think I was allowed to watch that
0: until high school and then by then I was like I think I missed the boat on when this would have been cool yeah. <laughs> like I probably would have enjoyed this in junior high but I missed it I
1: still remember like the nun's face like coming in like just she would I was had them like sort of hidden and then she like came her head, face like came next to mine and she was like what are you have there I was like ah I actually got to
0: see where the nuns kept all the contraband once, because the nuns wow. at my elementary school lived in a convent on the premises. It was literally attached to the school and they needed like a helper one day to like go get something. And I remember going and first of all, seeing the box of like lost and found slash contraband and being like, if I could get my hands on that, what a big day that would be. But also just like being young enough that I didn't, I think I was like six or seven. So, so young that I wasn't thinking about like what a nun's life actually is. And like the fact that they're taking like, a vow of celibacy, et cetera, et cetera. And like going in their boarding their apartment or convent or whatever you want to call it and seeing a pool table and being like, well, that's kind of cool. Like these nuns just like teach school and then play pool good for them. Like,
1: not a bad life yeah there's there's I remember going at on one time because I, I remember my mom was late to pick me up as usual and I, uh, after basketball practice and they were all in the combat and they were all like there were so many reclining chairs I guess to avoid fights they had to like all get reclining chairs their own Lounger, yeah, yeah it
0: was no like that's my seat it was like it's like a firehouse it's
1: like that's my chair and you can't take it I always found it very interesting how they would justify the patriarchal difference between their life and the priest's life they don't own anything but the priest gets to own property. So they take a vow of poverty. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Nuns. My cousin actually considered becoming a nun relatively recently and went semi-far through the process and had given up some things and had given up some of her money. And I remember talking to her after she decided not to do it. And she was like, it's kind of messed up, right? That priests don't have to take a vow of poverty. And I was like, girl, I have been thinking about that since I was 11. Like we had a priest at my school As a kid that had like a BMW and lived in a house, and all the nuns were in that apartment playing pool together. Like, I mean, from such a young age, I could not understand any of that. I think that, you know, depending on how Catholic your family is and depending on how patriarchal your family is, you go along with it longer or shorter. And I like knew right away, I was like, there's this is not great.
1: Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's just like they were just sort of. Like they would know, but then they wouldn't know what to say. And they're just kind of like giggle about it and be like, oh, yeah, I mean, no, like, and we're all sitting in the, we're like 10 years old and like, this is bullshit. Like, what are you doing, sister Eileen? Yeah. Why would you choose this? And it's like, well, I've already chosen yeah, it. So, yeah. Retroactively justifying their choice. They're like, I wanted this. I promise. Right. And it was the only way for like a lot of them to get like a college education and not have to marry men and be a lesbian without anyone knowing like that. Yeah. Yeah. If it was
0: the seventies or eighties and I was gay, I'd probably be a nun. Like why not?
1: Right. Especially like even further back, like fifties, sixties, 20. I mean, you couldn't, Get it, your education, you were forced into a marriage. I mean, not being a nun, not bad. Not bad, not bad, yeah. yeah. So we're emerging from the, a pandemic and I'm thinking a lot about how like in some ways, I was talking to my friend, Carolyn like Cassegula too, and, and a comedian around town. And she was saying like, she feels like we're just learning to how to reemerge and the world is still very chaotic. So, but now we're seeing each other in person and it's, and it's gonna change. We're still figuring out how to gather and how we gather and have you seen a difference in pre- and post-pandemic comedy? Yeah, audience? I
0: mean, yeah. I would say for sure, as far as like comedy or just in general or... I guess
1: both. Because like, general affects who's going to come to the show too? Yeah, I mean, I definitely
0: feel like, you know, now we're two and a half years out from the beginning of this thing. I feel like, you know, now I'm in this weird place where I am doing shows as many nights a week as I can. Let's say five nights a week, I'm out there, I'm in clubs or I'm in bars or whatever... And then I talked to my non-comedy friends, like we right now, you know, a friend got COVID. So, and we all saw her and it went, you know, the text went around, hey, I have COVID and we're all vaccinated and everything like that. But I was just like, okay, like I personally feel like I can't, and I'm thankfully, you know, I'm vaccinated, but I also don't have any like underlying health issues that like if I got COVID, it would be for me a cold. So it's this weird thing where I'm like, yeah, of course I don't want it, but I'm actively out in the world. Like I have to just deal with it. I was talking to a friend that is a comic as well, and he was saying that it was like really hard for him to spend time with his friends from home who live in New Jersey, because they are really, really COVID conscious still. And so they're like, well, we want to see you on a time where you haven't been doing shows for a week. And he's like, well, that's not a time that exists. Like, you're asking me to take a week off of work so that we can go have dinner. And like, that's just not reality. And you know, you talk to younger people in their 20s, and they think of COVID as something that's kind of done. And they're like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm glad we're back. I'm glad we're out again and like all that. But people in their 30s, which is what I am, you know, I have friends on every end of the spectrum. I have friends that are kind of over it that are saying like, I just have to live my life, you know, whatever. And then I have friends that are either health wise or because they're having kids or because they have kids being like, I need to still be super regimented. And so it's it's tough in that respect. But then when you are out, like, like it's little things. Like I definitely feel like in the city, people drive much worse now because they had like six months where nobody was on the road. So if you wanted to go be a dick, you could be a dick and it didn't matter. And like, there's just people that I'm like, are you texting? You're just full on. Like I was beeping at somebody yesterday that was just full on looking at their phone, not processing that they were like in an intersection. The light was green And I'm just like, you're not aware that you're back in the world. Like, we all had a little too much time alone, and now you don't know how to interact with other people. Yeah. And But also, like, with comedy, you know, obviously it affects it in a thousand ways, but with shows, it either, like, during the week kind of shows, run-of-the-mill comedy shows where you might get a well-known comic, you might not. It might be a bunch of people starting up. It might be a bar show. I feel like those shows, in my opinion, ha- got hurt the most because, you know, there are some people that are like, oh my God, I just have to get back out. And I remember talking to them like last summer, and last fall being like, I'm at this show. Hey, what brought you here? I had to get out of my house, you know? So there are people that wanted to get back out. But then there's a lot of people that I feel like decided they were done with, you know, like once covid put them inside for two years, they're like, okay, well, now I'm an inside person. And now I have my routines and I work out in my apartment and then I go and I make a meal and then I like watch a movie and that's my night. Like I'm not anymore looking at like fun things to do in my neighborhood on my phone or whatever. You know, you kind of have to like pull people back out. And so that is really tough for like bar shows and for like less big things. And like a lot of the clubs still... Have less shows than they produced before COVID.
1: Yeah.
0: And because they figured out money wise that, like, maybe it did make sense for them to have a Tuesday night showcase where 12 people came and they had to pay the wait staff and the comics and whatever. And some clubs promoted better and still have those shows because they've been able to fill the rooms, but other places are afraid they still won't fill the room. So they just don't do anything. And then, you know, there's definitely clubs where I feel like I've gotten bumped back in the roster because they're like, well, we used to have eight shows a week, but now we have four. So we'll put you up, you know, once a month or once every two months as a, because there's just less stage
1: time to go around. Yeah. I also noticed too, like in where people used to hang and people aren't hanging anymore, like other comics or whatever it is. Like people are just going home yeah. a lot more often, a lot more often. Cause we got used to what we like in our
0: homes and we made, We, like, had to carve out cozy spaces. And, like, I think it gave a lot of people the opportunity to reflect on whether or not doing something was worth it. Like, is going to the show worth it? Is hanging out after the show worth it? Would I rather just be home with my roommates or my cat or my dog or my husband or my kids? Like, or should I hang out at this bar and hope that something happens for my comedy career? Like, that's
1: exhausting. It is. And I listened to your interview with Liz Glazer. Oh, yeah. And you guys were talking about doing the hang after comedy shows. And now I just wonder, because there's less hangs now. So is it like, I just wonder if it's going to change how people get to know each other.
0: I think it is. And I don't really know what the replacement is yet. Like, I don't know if we've come up with what that is yet as a comedy community. And there are younger people hanging. Like I think there's another effect of COVID for me personally is there's this new crop of comics that moved here during the pandemic that were their big fish in their scene. They're here now. They're living in New York. They're proud of themselves. They're out there. And because they haven't met you in the past six months to a year, they don't know that you exist as a New York comic. Like, I feel like I'm having to like break back into my own scene almost in some places and be like, no, I've been here the whole time. I just didn't do the illegal shows. I didn't do the backyard. Like I did, for me, my COVID actual comedy experience during the act six to eight months that we weren't vaccinated, or I guess year that we weren't vaccinated, is I did do park shows and I did some roof shows, but I didn't do anything that was illegal. I didn't do anything that felt shady. I didn't do anything that felt too indoors. Yeah. Because my husband's not a comedian and I'm not going to get him COVID, because I had to tell jokes to six people. Like, it just didn't, and I didn't want it myself either. But I, the reason I bring him up is I don't know what I would have done if I was like a 25 year old single comic. Yeah. Maybe I would have been out at those shows, but I just, like, it wasn't worth it to me. So I don't know a lot of the younger scene. And by younger, I just mean newer. Some of these people aren't necessarily younger, but the people who moved here in the past year because they got COVID rent deals or because they were like, you no, know, now or never. Like, I feel like that was the mentality of a lot of them. You know, some of them are just integrating fine and, you know, I meet them and I'm like, fantastic. But I do feel a little out of the loop on some of the, like the newer crowd. I feel like they think they invented new york comedy bar shows and i have to like ask for permission to be back out there and it's very weird
1: it is but i remember i saw someone i used to see at a mic a lot and stuff in and different shows and, and he came into this thing and he goes to me he's like who is anyone here and it's like i know i know it's a whole new a it's new brand world. new i've been doing some
0: mics with comedy mob which is like a group yeah. in new york and you know a couple years ago i won their festival, so they normally let me kind of drop in on the mic because it's a very popular mic. It sells out, you know, in a minute or two or whatever. But I don't know a single other comic there. I know like two people that help run it that have been there since the beginning. And then when I actually go into the mic, I'm like, I don't know any of you at all. And I guess I need to now because now you're the new group of people that's booking stuff and doing things and... You know, part of it for me personally is I came into comedy later and I already lived here. So I already had friends. Yeah. So I don't, to me, I feel like I don't slot in well to any class of comics, like to be like, oh, they all came up at the same time. They came up at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because the people I started with were 10 years younger than me or five years younger than me. So they were like, of course we're going to stay out till 3am because we did the show and we all work service industry jobs or whatever. And we're going to go drink our face off. And I'm like, why are you going to go home? Cause I have a husband and a dog and a job. And so like, I identify with that group when I see them out and about and we like, you know, fist bump or we're like, Hey, good to see you. But we were never like close friends because I had my own friends already. And I had my own like life set up here. And then there's people that are my age doing comedy, but those people are further along because they've been doing it five to eight more years than me. So it's like, of course, they're at the cellar or they're touring or whatever they're doing. And you're just like, I don't know really where I fit in. So I guess the pandemic almost made me feel more isolated because a lot of people I started with too, you know, or people that were like in a vague place, you know, COVID gave them a reason to quit or a reason to move. Like I have comedy friends that decided to leave New York city because it was expensive and difficult and strenuous. I had comedy friends that like said, you know what? I'm, I'm done. Like I've given it my all for five, eight, 10, 12 years and I'm done. And it's, I get that, but I feel like for women, especially the women, all the women comics I know, not all of them, but most of them I feel like came back from COVID later and later because they wanted to be safer, A, and because to me, most of the women in my life that experienced COVID experienced it in a much bigger emotional way outwardly than the men did. And I don't want to like generalize too much, but I feel like a lot of female comics I knew were like, I'm trying to process what we just went through and I'm trying to process the nation I live in and I'm trying to like deal with the world around me and guy comics are like, I'm just trying to get a clip for Instagram you know like I just feel like it's two different things so like because women came back slower I feel like when I look at a, a comedy club or a bar show especially I feel like bar shows before COVID would be embarrassed to only have one woman on the poster or only have one person of color on the poster and now I feel like we're a lot of places we're right back to six white dudes and one other person and that sucks yeah
1: yeah That's definitely happening for sure. It's weird. And I don't understand because if it's not like people aren't, they don't know who the female comics are and it's not like they couldn't do a set even though they haven't seen you every day. Yeah, it's
0: like there are people who are perfectly capable and ready. They just haven't been wherever this hang is that we don't know is even happening anymore, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, and I feel that. It feels like now is, and I'm grateful in some ways for the internet and some of the things the pandemic does because you can make your own comedy world happen and just not have to even deal with their bullshit, sure, you yeah. know? Because I feel that Like, because I was doing Melania, stand-up as Melania Trump for a few years, so then I would like, that was like very ostracizing from a lot of comedy people because stand up. Hate that shit. But like some people loved it. And so it's just like, so I was just always kind of doing something weird. I never felt like I fit in with any particular group. I also do characters, but I couldn't stand UCB. So I was never there. I was just kind of like always floating. And it's, it's ostracizing. But then also, I think of the advantage though, for those of us who are like not in any particular group, theorizing here, you know, there's something to like a group mentality where sometimes they keep each other down or all kind of run forward in the same line for maybe no reason. It's yeah. like, We can make our own decisions that maybe make us happier.
0: Yeah. I feel like if you're really, really ingrained in a group, you're like, okay, well, we're all going to try to do, to get past at this certain club, or we're all going to try to do this one festival. And it's like, well, you're not all going to get picked for that, or you're not all going to be able to do that. Yeah. And then you need to diversify your options of like what that is going to be. All that is to say, I had a conversation with somebody like two days ago where I was like, I don't know what my current goal is. Like, I'm just out here. In these streets, yeah. just trying to like do shows and, you know, obviously get more stage time and everything like that. But I feel like before COVID, I was always working towards something. And now it's like, I've had enough things be canceled for various COVID reasons, even in the past six months that we're going to be like comedy milestones. And it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other for now then. Yeah. We'll see what happens. It's so hard
1: to plan even like three months out. That's difficult. Well, what about in festivals? I think about that too. Do you think that they're going to hold as much weight or what is your vibe with where that's going?
0: I think that some of them, I feel like for me, I've seen less brand new festivals. I feel like before COVID, it was like every other month would be like, why don't you apply to the Midwest downtown fountain festival or whatever, (laughs) you know, and it felt like there you could apply to 20 festivals. And if you got into two, you were like, I'm going to go do it and it's gonna be great. And I actually did a fair amount of festivals when I first started stand-up because I, I really liked them. And, and to me, it's kind of like, you know, a summer camp for three days where you're just like, I'm, I'm with all my comics. And, yeah. and because I had a hard time meeting comics when I first started, it was very fun to meet New York comics in other cities and have a minute to talk to them. And I wasn't intruding on their circle or their hang. We were all just at this neutral location. And since COVID, I've really wanted that energy back of a festival. But I I've only done one since COVID and it was the Boston comedy festival, which is a competition. And I did it because it has a little bit of cloud. People have heard of it. You know, they're like, Oh yeah, that's a thing. And you know, I got past once and then the second show I didn't. And those people went on to the finals. So made it to two rounds out of three, I guess, but Nobody was hanging out afterwards. It wasn't like, great, the show's over, let's go get dinner or let's go have a drink. It was like, you know, half the comics were Bostonian people that were like, well, I got my job tomorrow or whatever. And the other half were like, it just wasn't friendly. Like, I remember I went to one of the shows I wasn't on and everybody was like, why are you here? And I was like, isn't this like the point of this so it's just really weird because I was hoping for that fun summer camp. Like, because I used to come home from a festival and be like, I need to write more and I need to do this and I'm going to, you know, get all fired up. And I hope that that's still the case. But I think a lot of the middle level festivals aren't coming back. Like, there was a, I had like three on the calendar in 2020 that have all been canceled and not rescheduled, especially. HBO's Women in Comedy Festival in Boston, which when I did it was my favorite thing ever. And I was supposed to do it again in 2020 and they, they're they not back. And I don't know if they ever will be. They sent us this email last year that was like, yeah, yeah you know, it stinks that we had to cancel and women are the most hurt by this pandemic, like they've done studies that they're losing their career, you know, not just comics, but just in general. And this email, it seemed like they were going to do something. And then at the end, they were like, so it's really unfortunate that we still don't have the festival scheduled. And you're like, come on. Oh my God. I don't know. I mean, the big ones are still going strong. It feels like this fall is the first year that I've seen that the big name festivals are like in full gear, getting audiences in Limestone, 10,000 laughs, all that kind of stuff. But I think the middle range ones, I think it's going to take a couple more years for them to feel confident they can get an audience in. And also, like a lot of the venues close. Like, there's a great festival, Burning Bridges in Pittsburgh, that I did and that I was supposed to do again in 2020. And like two out of their four venues closed because of COVID. So it's like beyond that, you can't even, you have to find, it's like rebuild from the bottom, you know? and then hope that people come. So I think the mid-range ones are going to be gone for a little while. And maybe that means in a year or two, some new interesting things will pop up and happen. But I think we're still in a point of recovery. And I think unfortunately, like for the comics that put on these festivals, the ones that are made by the comics in their local scene, those people in these smaller markets are still economically recovering from going through a pandemic. So they're like, I don't have this extra time or this extra thousand bucks to put on this thing. Like I just don't have it. So it might not happen. I don't know. I, I really hope that they come back in a bigger way because it is just a really nice rejuvenating way to get excited about comedy, to just like do a bunch of shows and somebody else's scene and, Meet a bunch of people and go home like amped up. It it remains to be seen, I guess.
1: Yeah. HBO is so sad. Cause that, the HBO Women and Comedy Festival in Boston, we just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and that makes me so sad.
0: Yeah, that it's. Yeah, it was gonna be. I was really excited because the first year I did it, I was so pretty new, and I was at all their smallest venues but 2020 I was getting like moved up. Like I had my other venues set up already and I was like, this is going to be awesome. And then,
1: you know, and I get it. I can't figure it out for them, but it's just such a bummer. Yeah. That is such a bummer. I love that. Yeah. That was one of my goals. One of my goals was to apply. Well, if it ever comes back, yes, if it comes back, keep it on the goal list. If it comes back, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Cool. Good to know. Well, I knew that, but it's good to like, hear it again. Like, no, I, I should apply. I should apply. Now, You have your podcast, Alone at Lunch? Yes. Now, people think common folk often think projects come out of thin air and just like you just snapped your fingers and it happened. And we know that's not the case. So um, can you talk a little bit about like the process of creating Alone at Lunch and developing it? Sure, yeah. So the podcast
0: is me and another comedian, Carly Montag. And we interview people, different people every week. And uh, most of them are comedians, but we've branched out a little bit to podcasters, entertainers, that kind of thing. And we just talk to people about a time that they feel like the odd one out. And so that doesn't necessarily have to be negative. It can be like I was the only girl at hockey camp or whatever. We have found in two years that it's a lot of junior high and high school nostalgia that we get into with people. They have a lot of feelings. We've called out bullies. We've like yelled about summer parties that people have been to. But um we started actually in January of 2020, not to be mm-hmm. so topical, but um I had or February, I broke my elbow at my day job. Like I shattered it into a million pieces. And I wasn't going to be able to work for five to – it turned out being eight months when it was all said and done. I had to have a couple surgeries. I was going to physical therapy five days a week. It was really crazy. But all of a sudden I had all this time on my hands and it was kind of hard to run around to shows. I was still doing them, but I was in like a full arm cast and a sling. So it was a little bit intense to, to do that. And I had thought a long time about coming up with a podcast and like what it would be. And for a while I wanted it to be, I was going to call it black sheep and it was going to be like, what's your reason? It was kind of like how comedians all think they're really tortured, weird people. And some of them are, but like, we all have our thing. It's like, "Oh, did you lose a parent or do you, you know, have like addiction issues? Like what brought you to this tortured place that you need to do comedy?" So that was the original concept when I was like thinking about it on my own, but then, you know, I thought about it a little bit more and I was like, "What if it was a little more upbeat? What if it could be a positive thing? What if people could interpret it as more Oh, that was a weird time in my life where I happened to be like the only, you know, American in China or whatever. And so we recorded the first eight episodes before the lockdown. So if you listen to, and we recorded five, six, and seven in the same day. And I, they were March like 10th of 2020. And I remember that because you can, if you listen to those episodes, like one of them, we have Jay Jordan on, he writes on Jon Stewart. He's, you know, been on Fallon. He's been on all the shows, but he, um, We're talking to him being like, yeah, I guess I'll go buy groceries, but I don't know. It feels like won't be anything, you know, like it's like a real moment in time of what was happening. But COVID happened and it was something that like we could keep doing. And it was important to me that when we started to be consistent, because I've always been a huge podcast listener. And for me having a day job that was labor, I paint scenery for television. So it's like a fancy day job, but it is a day job and it is labor. And you'd be by yourself for like six to eight hours a day working and and podcast became really important to me. And I was like, if we're gonna do this, I wanna have it come out when it's supposed to come out. Because if we get fans, I want them to be able to have like I would get disappointed if a show I liked was like, no episode this week, sorry, we got busy you know, like I knew what shows came out on Tuesdays, I knew what shows came out on Wednesdays. So we just made a commitment to be like, we're gonna do this on time, we're gonna get it done, and because people were home. For so long, we got to talk to a lot of people and we got to talk to West Coast people that we wouldn't necessarily have thought of interviewing because we were recording in person until COVID. And then obviously we moved to Zoom. So, you know, we got to have people like Cameron Esposito on the show because we just like reached out and she was bored in her house and was willing to talk to us for an hour. So it's been a journey. And, you know, now we joined the Morbid Network and now we're part of Wondery. So that is is a very exciting journey of the past six months or so. And, you know, now we're two and a half years in and we're just going
1: strong. That's awesome. So back when you were conceptualizing it, did you have like a pitch deck? Were you trying to pitch it to people or did you just make it?
0: We just made it. We Googled, how do you make a podcast? And we just put it on the internet, you know, and it it was definitely a journey. I've never been a technology minded person, but I've figured out a lot of things, you know, and I edit the show still myself and all this stuff. And you just kind of figure it out, you know, and it's definitely we haven't done it all right all the time. But we've always had an episode We the only week that we missed an episode was the week I got married. And I just that was completely my fault. But I did, didn't get it together well
1: that's, but, yeah, yeah we a
0: we started from the bottom now we're here you know we just kind of made it and people seem to connect with it
1: that's really cool and so do you feel like you're drawing the people like is it the people who were eating alone at lunch the people who are a little bit different and weird are you be able to draw them in we
0: get a really interesting smattering of listeners because we get people that are comedy fans we get people that are that are like, I'm eating alone. And so I'm gonna listen while I'm alone or get people that that felt isolated at a certain age. But we also get people that like, just enjoy nostalgia. Like I'll get texts from friends or emails from listeners that are like that restaurant you mentioned from the 80s. I've been there and it's called this and we used to go when I was a kid, you know, like, nostalgia is a really powerful thing for people. And I think that that is part of it. And we get a lot of like millennial listeners because a lot of our guests are millennials that just want to like revisit like a time in their life before smartphones, I guess, and like listen to nostalgic good times from their youth.
1: Yeah, super cool. Super cool. And then engaging listeners is something podcasters talk a lot about just about how hard it is. Do you how do you find it difficult? Or do you feel like the nostalgia is really pulling them in?
0: Um, I mean, yeah, we definitely find it difficult. And you can kind of look, every platform has different analytics for you as far as how well your podcast is doing. And, and I paid a lot of attention to it towards the beginning, as far as like drop off, like, we're, are people stopping listening to this episode? When are they stopping listening to it? What is the thing that's boring to them that just isn't interesting enough? And we used to be, we're still, we talk about stand-up a lot because the hosts are stand-ups, a lot of the guests are stand-ups, but we've tried to mix it up because we definitely have listeners that aren't comedy fans. they just like, you know, they found us somehow and they're like, I enjoy the topic and I don't really care how you go to an open mic or whatever, you know? And so we try to get more into people's lives and less into comedy because like I used to joke and be like yeah you know we're like smartless except nobody's famous you know like it's just talking to people at the beginning of their careers so we're not going to get people because they know the name of our guest necessarily we have definitely had people where that has been why people listen to the episode don't get me wrong but a lot of the, the comics we interview or podcasters or entertainers are, you know, somewhat unknown and they're not going to pull in an audience on their own. So the conversation has to be engaging enough for that, you know?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's interesting. It's, it's always a balance of like, because then it's like, do you look at, I have this conversation a lot within creating content. Like, do you look at what the audience wants and give it to them? Or you just create what you want because you think it's fun. And it's always this balance of like, you have to do something that comes from the heart. And yet also you got to keep your audience there.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of it now is like, Knowing who your audience is and knowing that it might take a while for them to find you, but that when they do find you, you want to give them a consistent pile of content. Like then like I've been waiting for you. I've been doing it the whole time. Yeah. And if you like that thing that finally went viral or finally got seen, then you will like the rest of it because I'm a consistent talent who makes consistent content
1: rather. Yeah, super cool. And then wondering, so when did they find you guys or were you actively seeking, or were you just like going along, you know? We were actually part of Morbid
0: and when Morbid joined Wondery, we all joined as a package deal. Very
1: cool. Very cool. Cool. And so more you found Morbid? The hosts of the head podcast
0: Morbid, the show that is the basis of the network. I actually go way, way back with the hosts. And so about a year into us doing the show, they reached out to us and they were like, Hey, we know you're a little off of what our normal thing is, but if you'd like to consider joining the network, we'd love to have you. And we were like, you know what? Like we're not part of
1: anything yet. So why not? I love that because it's like what people say, just put it out there. And be consistent yeah and do the best you can yeah and i think it was appealing to them that we had
0: a year's worth of episodes already like here's plenty of content you can put some ads in and put up and
1: be oh, done yeah. with you know so oh yeah that's super cool that's that's a ding if i had a bell i would ding it ding ding ding, ding, ding. it way the system works <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it can happen occasionally yeah for the good people Yeah. So what is the plans for a future for the podcast? You know, we're just, for now,
0: we're just going to keep going. I can't really talk about it too much, but I am working on a new podcast with my husband, actually. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, we're trying to launch in the spring, but that is a little bit more research-based, a little less chit-chatty, because the beauty of Alone at Lunch is we're going to keep trying to, you know, get bigger listeners and get bigger names. And, you know, someday maybe we'll do some live shows, but it's not something that, like needs a lot of legwork, thankfully. You know, like we we obviously we talk to people with intention and Carly and I constantly try to be, you know, better interviewers and read and watch things about how to get the best from your guest. But you know, we're just kind of learning as we go and, you know, we're happy to happy to have it. Yeah.
1: So, So the new podcast, is this gonna be something that you have to do kind of like are you doing the pitch and the whole other or are you yeah, just doing yeah. It? yeah?
0: Yeah. So I need to do the homework and I need to do the pitch, and I'm hoping that we'll have a little bit of a foundation to stand on because I already have a podcast that is, you know, on a network and out there and has the proof of existence or whatever, you know, proof of commitment out there. But it's going to be a little bit different, and I'm excited to do something with my husband. I never thought he would want to do a podcast. He's not a comic. He's not entertainment. But it was actually the topic was his idea. And I, about a week later, I just couldn't stop thinking about it because he, possibly, he casually said this. He was like, this should be a thing. I, like A week later, he was at work and I was at home and I texted him and I was like, do you want to do this podcast? Because I'm going to make it like, it's a really good idea and you can do it with me or I can steal it from you and get somebody who wants to do it, but it's happening. And he was like, no, I think like, let's, uh, let's try it. So we're going to, record some episodes see how he feels once we actually start and see if if that is for him but yeah we're we're excited about the topic and we're excited to to kind of make something together because that you know you see entertainment couples that you're like is that fun or not fun i can't tell but yeah you know we we worked well together so i'm excited to kind of do something with
1: him Super cool. I, you know, I am similar place with different projects where I do a lot of stuff just on my own, but then starting to be like, all right, let me try to pitch it and try to bring it forward. It's like such a different, on the one hand, it's like good because you want to try to preserve the idea and present the idea and give it the best chance to be seen on the other. I always have this impulse of like, fuck you, I'll just make this with my iPhone. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't need you. I can just make it. It's 2022. Right, right. So it's been an interesting process in holding myself back. and just saying like, okay, give us five seconds. We have a timeline. We're trying to give us like, all right, if they don't, no one picks it up in this amount of time, we might make it ourselves. But then, ah, then it's always like, well, what if we would have waited? You know, it's a Yeah,
0: but that's true with everything. You know, you got to either do it or like, you need to do it for yourself. Like no one's, I was talking to a comic this week about how like, it took so long for, to realize no one's calling me. Like I need to call them, you know, Like as, even as far as like booking shows, it's like you for a really long time, you just need to be your own booker. Like you can't just sit back and be like, but they saw me at that bar show and they told me that the set was good. So surely they're going to call me tomorrow. It's like, even if you did well somewhere, that person doesn't have you on top of mind and you need to reach back out. And you know, eight times out of 10, they're like, Oh my God, you're right. Let me book you next week. You know, so it's worth doing advocating for yourself, but it's also like a ton of work. And it's obviously like, you know, you have to feel good in that moment to be able to advocate for yourself and you feel good about what you're making. Yeah, but.
1: totally. Yeah. I mean, I never, I, I met randomly, I happened to be near Stonewall and someone told me Room McClanahan was going to be there. It was like a late afternoon or something. And then McClanahan was like, I asked her, like, did you ever get, um, she was taking questions from the audience promoting her new book. She was like, you know, I was like, do you ever get down about how hard everything is? And she goes, Oh, I always knew it would be uphill all the way. (laughs) But that's almost like good to just be like, I knew it was going
0: to be like this. I knew it was gonna be hard. Yeah. And I just knew that and kept moving. Yeah. If it was easy, everyone would do it. A hundred percent. And that's why people go to open mics because they think it's easy and they think everyone can do it.
1: Yeah, and then they curse at the other comments like, "You just don't get out of funny." And it's like, mm.
0: "You're not giving this enough." <laughs> okay, cool, oh, cool,
1: cool. Your dad. Too much, too soon, too soon. Oh, you're walking out. shit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do that for hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: totally. Oh my god, um, cool. Well, let me give you a question from from one of my characters. Let me think here. Okay, all right. So my name is um Queen's Marie. Welcome, hello Emily. Oh, very nice hello. to meet you. So, right. The thing is, so you knew all the nuns. I knew all the nuns too. They were like so, so oppressed. So, if you had to do a nun makeover to like get the... think of the most oppressed oh, wow. nun you knew who was sitting there like simmering in her own like wants. Get like, what would you say to her to like, it'll do to her to like give her a makeover to make her feel better about herself? Oof. I mean, I have to go with Sister Claudette of my school,
0: uh, Infant Jesus. I don't know if she's still with us. This was 25 years ago. She was the most terrifying woman in the world. And she had a really, really tight perm. And she used like 98 bobby pins to keep that habit on. And I don't know what circumstances they're allowed to take it off. But I think, you know, relax and start with the hair. Let it, let it relax a little bit. Get those bobby pins out of there. Maybe don't do the really teeny tight curlers all the way to your scalp just let your scalp breathe and maybe that will just release some other things in your body and let you relax a little
1: bit oh that's fun would you bring her to a stand-up show and maybe you could like dress her do some jokes to her in the audience oh
0: my god she would hate everything i had to say i think she'd hate that i was a woman talking with a microphone but i think it'd be fun to get her there if she was willing but again don't know she
1: was very old and small at that time, it might be fun to wheel her onto the stage and give her the microphone. She might go nuts. Who knows? Honestly, she probably I probably would have something to say. Probably would have. I would love
0: to give every every nun a microphone. There used to be a calendar called nuns having fun. And every month was like a nun eating an ice cream cone or a nun on a speedboat. And that always brought me a lot of joy. I
1: love that. I love that nun comedy show. I see it now. You got it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Emily. Good to chat with you. Um, and um, the number one neighborhood esthetician. So come see me 10% off.
0: Oh, you. fantastic. Thank, okay, you. thank you. Okay. Bye
1: great uh well thank you for hanging with queens murray yeah of course great so um what do you anything you have coming up you'd like to plug and tell us about i mean if
0: you're in new york i have shows most nights of the week follow me on my social media things where i plug those kind of thing uh the funny walsh on every platform that you can follow a person and uh yeah listen to alone at lunch. And you know, in the spring I will post every moment of every day about the new podcast. I just can't talk about it yet, but uh, yeah, listen to alone at lunch, follow me at Be funny Walsh. come on out to a show. And in the spring, actually, if you're a New Yorker, I'm going to start running a monthly again at Pete's candy store. So that'll be a good time, but yeah, just follow me on the internet and find out about all the stuff there. Super
1: fun. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, folks. To support this work, here are two things you can do. One, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It really, really helps other people find us. Also, you can support us by donating on Venmo at Lauren Logi. You can follow Reconcile the Isle on my Instagram and Twitter at Lauren L-O-G-I. And do consider signing up at LaurenLogi.com slash podcast to get reminders when we publish this every other week. Thank you to everyone who has made this podcast possible. Thank you to Ani Mikachin for editing, Edward Seela at Radio Misfits Podcast Network, Mary Lynn English for being the research assistant for this season, to Zevin Edwards for creating the intro, Christopher Catalano for the voiceover, Manny McLennan for making the podcast art, and a shout out to Alan Waters, Danny Halton, Craig Branson, who helped me to conceptualize this podcast. And of course, thank you to Emily Walsh for being such a wonderful guest. See you very soon. If you made it to this far in the podcast, I want to thank you for listening and supporting us and also that. We are going to be putting out podcasts in a more, more of a like as we go basis. As I meet people in the world who I think are relevant to the themes of the podcast, I will make sure to interview them right away and put it up as soon as I can. And I have a lot of other projects coming down the line, which you'll hear about soon. Follow me at Lauren Logi, join my email list, lauren at laurenloji.com, so that I can tell you more about that. So that's what we're doing for Reconcile the Isle. Thank you for supporting us so far it's not over. It's more of a different way. We're going to communicate. If you have someone you'd like me to interview, you can always reach out. If you have a topic you want me to cover, reach out as well. Um, But we're going to continue the conversation here in our own way. I will see you soon.